Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat number 223 for the 25th of November, 2015. It's John Shire again this week. Chester is still on the road and joining me is Paul Ducklin. Good afternoon, Paul. Sweltering, even though it's the middle of the night. Yeah, I seem to have the opposite problem. We just had a little bit of snow here in, in my hemisphere. And uh, actually, it was a nice day today. Sun was out, so the snow melted, albeit it was only a, you know half an inch or so. But uh, You don't have inches in Canada. You're absolutely right. I believe is 1.83 centimeters that was on my lawn this morning. I think you mean 1.27, actually, but never mind. <laughs> so let's kick off this week by talking a little bit about email. We've got a few stories that kind of run into one another and... Uh, the first one is that Google is going to start warning Gmail users that an email they have just received has not been encrypted or has not gone through an encrypted connection. Now, this is a plan that Google has announced. The bad part of it is when you get the warning, now what? The person's already sent you something that might contain personal information about them or about you, and it's unencrypted. It's sort of too late not to send it. So it's not really a preventative measure. Where I think it will help is it will kind of isolate or out companies that you might reasonably expect to be encrypting mail that haven't quite got around to it yet. Yeah, and I thought the same thing when I read it as well. What good is it if I receive a warning about an email I just received that wasn't encrypted that included, let's say, I don't know, my password or banking details that somebody sent to me? They shouldn't, but hey, stranger things have happened. So from that standpoint, you're right. But I think, again, you know, it's worth reiterating that this is a step in the right direction. What would be interesting is if there was some way that you could get feedback from Gmail or from whatever mail provider you're using about people to whom you sent email who didn't bother to offer encryption when they received it. You might decide to adjust the way you do business with them on that basis. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, you know, we often talk about voting with our feet or voting with our wallet. Here we can sort of vote with our email clients and say, all right, you don't take my security seriously enough. And so maybe I won't do business with you in this context. All right, let's move on to a different email story. And this is not a good news story. Oh, this is uh, Chipotle. Is that how you say it? What is a Chipotle? Chipotle is a type of pepper. Uh, that is uh, very uh, smoky in flavor and delicious. Uh, in this context, however, it's a company that uh, offers what I believe they call fresh mechs or fast casual food. So you say, if you're saying it's fast casual food, it seems that they had a bit of a fast casual attitude to email. What they actually did is they decided that with new job applicants who were communicating to them via email, they were going to reply to those job applicants using a domain that they did not own in the reply to email address field. I mean, the impression I get is that they, what they should have done is put no reply at chipotle.com. But instead, what they did is, is they just put person that doesn't exist at made up domain name dot she'll be fine. Uh, now, unfortunately, one of these emails ended up in a gentleman by the name of Michael Coleman's uh, email inbox, who happens to be an out-of-work IT worker. Who knows how to register domain names very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He went out and re registered this ChipotleHR.com domain uh, for 30 American dollars and then tipped off uh, you know, our good friend Brian Krebs. Yes, I... I guess the real problem is that if you set up one of these autoresponders where you don't expect 
to get replies. You'll think it's working when you don't get any replies, but it's very hard to tell whether they're reaching your mail server and being discarded or just kind of lost in the ether until such time as someone else registers the domain. There's uh, untold privacy disasters waiting to happen with this uh, type of situation. And, and luckily for us, I guess we can say that uh, Mr. Coleman, you know, he did the right thing. He reported it to Chipotle. Um, he's also basically put up a page that says this is not the Chipotle human resources page uh, at that domain. So, and we can only assume, though we have no way of um, confirming this, that he is not gathering any of the data that is uh, sent to him by mistake. I wonder if he's using Start TLS, or if he's letting people send the, all those replies unencrypted. That that would be interesting. Uh, now, the unfortunate part here is the way that uh, Chipotle allegedly responded, which is basically, you know, nothing to see here and uh, move along and really treating this as a non-issue. So Yes, they could have just said, oops, do you mind if we have that domain and uh, we'll make the problem go away? Yeah, this type of attitude is really the kind of thing that gets us into trouble in, in InfoSec. Most people know about example.com, example.org, example.net. You've also got star.example, star.test, star.invalid. That domain name is essentially guaranteed never to be allocated to anybody. Very good advice. All right, so let's move on. So we first we had bad BIOS, then we had bad BIOS on your TV, and now we've got bad barcode or bad BIOS in your barcode, I guess. Yes, it was a, a paper at the PACSEC 2015 conference by a Chinese security researcher who calls himself Hyperchem Ma. Basically, what this chap realized is that for plug-and-play reasons and to make barcode reading super easy these days and to avoid the need to have barcode reading software in an app, say, on Windows, the barcode reader itself just pretends to be a keyboard, uh, much like the old MagStripe credit card readers did. Your software doesn't even need to know what kind of barcode reader is attached, doesn't need device drivers. Fantastic idea except that it seems a lot of apps sort of assume that they're going to get the barcode sort they expect, maybe one that just consists of ASCII digits. Yet the barcode reader uh, could actually figure out, oh, no, no, that's a barcode that can have any ASCII character, including control codes, control characters. And those could pop into your input stream unexpectedly. And depending on how your app works, those could be hotkeys that cause completely unexpected, potentially dangerous things to happen. A bit of a storm in a teacup, but I think it really puts the onus on people who are developing applications to take security seriously. You know, when you're going to accept input, you should always validate that input before doing anything with it, especially if you're going to be taking any kind of untrusted input. All right, let's uh, finish off the podcast today with a couple stories, uh, you know, really revolving around this time of year. You know, we're coming up on American Thanksgiving, uh, which brings Black Friday as well as Cyber Monday and really the whole holiday shopping season. As a matter of fact, Black Friday and, and Cyber Monday have really become global phenomenons. We've started seeing, you know, Canadian retailers now are doing Black Friday sales, even though it really was an American thing. And we celebrated our Thanksgiving uh, a month ago. Just to explain to people who don't know what Black Friday is, the idea is it's when retailers do so much revenue that they actually get into the black. They actually 
you know, cover their costs for the year, and then they're into profit during the festive season. That's the theory. If it works, if you're a retailer that does go into the black on Black Friday, there are a lot of people shopping. And if there are a lot of people shopping, there are also a lot of people shopping online. Yeah, so let's sort of kick off this discussion by talking about an Ofcom survey. Ofcom is a UK regulator of media and communications industries, um, which says that about one in five children aged 12 to 15 believe that information found in search engines must be true. So on the face of it, you know, this is, I guess, good news because it means that four in five children are actually critical enough to realize that, you know, not everything you read on the internet is true. But where this leads me to thinking is that we do have around 20%, 23% in this case for the Ofcom study that are believing everything they see on the internet. Do those 23% of children turn into 23% of adults who are going to fall for these scams come Black Friday and Cyber Monday? Well, John, I think the real problem here is that one in five have imbued search engines with the same gravitas, as you might call it, that maybe in the 50s or the 60s, kids would imbue with the encyclopedia that their parents had bought at great expense. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. They're seeing the search engine as a way of going and validating facts. The problem is that one of the things that search engines are very convenient for is checking whether a website is legit. So you get an email, it says, you know, we're a fantastic supplier of XYZ, and uh, here's our URL, and you go and search for fantastic suppliers of XYZ on a search engine, and bingo, that company comes up at the top, and that might be because they've got this long-standing reputation, or it could be that the crooks behind the scam have done their phishing campaign and their search engine poisoning at the same time. Right, so it's Black Friday or Cyber Monday, and you're on the hunt for some bargains, and uh, you know you might be surfing the net to see what you could find for you know maybe you're looking for a particular bicycle or or a new computer or whatever the case may be. You're probably going to log on to uh, you know some sites that require you to put in a password, a username and password, uh, and this is you know a great time to remind people that your password is really. Uh, a gateway to a lot more if you're not using it correctly, as uh, you've pointed out in your recent article on on passwords, and as we've pointed out many times in the past. Yes, John, the the piece that I wrote about that on Naked Security was actually inspired by a a survey done by a company called Dashlane that uh, that create a password management tool, and what they wondered is, given particularly in retail season, that lots of people may be browsing to e-commerce sites for the first time and to get the bargain you know how it is these days oh you need to you need to have an account first so you need to register you need to stick in your email address you need to think of a password on the spot what happens if you're in a hurry what happens if you're in a rush and you make a gratuitous egregious error and choose a silly password like password to what extent will the server at the other end try and protect you from yourself Unfortunately, Dashlane found that in many cases, in fact, just about one third of the sites they surveyed actually did nothing at all to warn you that you were choosing a password so bad, it would be probably one of the first 10 that a password cracking software would choose, like QWERTY or Password or Baseball or 1234567 
So while we're thinking about passwords this holiday shopping season, it's also uh, good to think about some other safe online shopping habits, such as, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. I hate to break it to you folks, but there is no free iPhone 6. Oh, yeah. there must be. Sorry, Paul. No, not even for you, my friend. Even if only one in 10,000 of those scams are true, there are loads of iPhones out there. <laughs> no kidding. So uh, some other good tips, you know, never fill in purchase details on a website that doesn't use a secure connection. The old advice, uh, which is still true today, not to click on any links in unsolicited emails. Uh, I think, you know, we're going to see a lot more of these uh, packages waiting for delivery type spams. Uh, they, they do tend to peak a little bit at this time of year when people are expecting to receive packages. Uh, you know, watch out for sites that ask for a lot of information, such as your bank card PIN, for example, which is never used online, or your social security number or national ID number. Uh, you know, these these are never things that uh, an online retailer should be asking for. And finally, you know, check your bank statements at the end of the holiday season. I suspect there are a lot more password resets going on at this time of year than at any other time of year, and that means that. If a spammer or a scammer is sending out bogus password reset emails, by sheer force of numbers, coincidentally, you could get one just when you sort of expected. So be very, very careful about links that appear that take you to a login page. That's not how you should reset your password. A little caution goes an awful long way. Agreed. And on that great advice, I will conclude today's Sophos Security Chatlist Chat number 223. I want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to all of our American friends and uh, be safe and secure out there when you are doing all of that online shopping this holiday season. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more at iTunes, the TuneIn app, or at soundcloud.com slash Security. You can find all the latest security news at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And until next time, stay secure. Oh, and we do hope you like the new, clean and less cramped look of the Naked Security site.